0: open up to Luke chapter 18 Luke 18 while you're turning there if you've been with us the last few Sundays again we've been in this series looking at what does it mean to be a Christian right what does that even mean anymore when we say that when when that that word leaves our our mouth what does that mean for us personally you know in in, in light of nature of our country. What does it mean to be a Christian, right? Christian is really Christ and I-A-N is a suffix which means belonging to. So Christian is belonging to. It's a, that, that suffix belonging to is like a political party, belonging to a political party. So if you say you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. What does that mean anymore? What does that mean anymore? And we've, we've been looking at that in Mark chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, right? We saw Jesus saying, "Take up your cross and follow me." If anyone wants to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. And we we looked at that relationship between the ra- the rabbis and the Talmud, right? In that prayer, may may you stay so close to your rabbi that you would be covered in his what? In his dust, right? So so Jesus' command to come follow me wasn't just again an intellectual or even an academic pursuit, it was a real life, hey, come follow me and be this close to me. So close that the dust from me will cover you. That's as close as we're supposed to be to Jesus. 24-7, right? 24-7. Our gatherings on Sundays, super important, super blessing, but just a part of it. Just a part of it. Right? And so we saw that. to take up our cross. Last week in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. Right? And we saw that rabbis, uh, when you were going to follow a rabbi, you would say, hey, rabbi, in so many words, what's your yoke? Which means, hey, what's your body of Scripture? What's your doctrine? Because if I'm going to follow you so close that your dust is going to cover me, I want to know what you stand for. I want to know what you believe in. I want to know, Right? And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he was saying to his disciples, hey, take my body of teaching, my interpretation, my application of Scripture, take that and do it. Right? We saw biblically from the Old Testament on that the word hearing wasn't just listening. It was listening and responding. Right? And, and many of you resonated with the biblical Word hearing because we've all had kids that have been in the home and have been busy, right? Or relatives or, you know, or, you know, and you've asked someone or told someone to do something and they didn't, right? They just, and then when you, when you call them on it, huh? Or you say, didn't you hear me? Right? Anyone ever, those words ever come out of your mouth? Didn't you hear me? Right? Right? And we say, didn't you hear me? Not just for them to acknowledge that, they, the, that the sound waves came and vibrated their eardrums. That's not what we mean, right? When we say to our, our family members, did you hear me? The implication was, did you hear me? And you were supposed to do something with what you heard, right? That's exactly what the Bible talks about when it says not to be just hearers, but hearers and doers. In the Shema when it says, hear, O Israel. When we gather, when you're in Bible study, when you're reading Scripture uh, in your quiet time, when the Lord speaks to you, we come with the expectation that the Lord will speak, and then we're going to do what He says. Then we're going to do what He says. In fact, my mentor, the guy who grew up in ministry very very first 25 years ago when I started, was Pastor Miles McPherson. He has the Rock Church in San Diego. And ever since I've known Miles, his, his, you know, mantra to his church, and I've seen him even do it with this church of 10,000 people down in San Diego, you know, what he'll do is he'll, he'll hold up his Bible, and everyone holds up their Bible, and he goes, word, and they go, word, right? Because they're supposed to bring their Bibles, right? Because he's a Bible teacher. And then he says, when you come to church, bring your Bible, bring a pencil and a paper. Not just to take notes. But you bring a pencil and your paper and with the anticipation, the expectation that God is going to speak to you, some application. He says, so when you come to church, you bring your Bibles and you bring something to write with. So when God says this is the application, this is the doing part, you write it down and you go do it. And that's how you're transformed. That's why we gather, right? And so last, last week we saw, okay, Jesus says, take my yoke. So if we're going to be followers of Jesus, part of the expectation is that when he says something, we do it. And it's out of love. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. Obedience is a fruit. It's a fruit of, of a love relationship. Okay? It's not a works. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. And so we, we've been looking at a follower, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because here's the thing. Uh, Years and years ago, when we did a series on what is the Bible and and all that, I shared with you this continuum, and I've shared it several times in the last seven years, of, you know, we have beliefs. Beliefs lead to thoughts. Thoughts create emotions. And then out of all of that, we have actions, right? How we live our life. So if you want to know why someone does what they do, one way to determine that is to go back to what is their beliefs. What is their beliefs, right? For instance, Bill in the back used to jump out of perfectly good airplanes for fun. See, he believed that jumping out of perfectly good airplanes with a large napkin attached to you (laughs) that you hope would open was fun, right? Fun, right? Fun, 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 fun. And one day, you guys are going to love his testimony, of, of how God even used that to bring him to the Lord. If you don't know, he jumped out one time and he got tangled up in his cords. And it was a miracle of God that he's even sitting here because he was falling head first, tangled up in his parachute cords. There's your commercial. So anyway, so Bill believes in his belief structure that skydiving is fun and safe. He looks with, he creates thoughts Good thoughts, positive thoughts, anticipatory thoughts of how much fun they're going to have. The emotions are very positive. Excitement, enthusiasm. The action, he jumps. Tyler, on the other hand, thinks he's crazy. Why would anyone in their right mind? So in Tyler's belief structure, skydiving, is crazy, unsafe. I will die that leads to certain thoughts certain emotions tyler will not jump right now how will we get tyler to jump we'll push him <laughs> blindfold him tie him up toss him out that won't be a jump that'll be a toss right ultimately if we were going to if we were going to Encourage transformation and get Tyler to jump. We would come all the way back. We would have to work at his beliefs. We would have to try to work on his beliefs that it's safe and it, you know, yada, 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 right? That's why it's important to understand why we're spending this time, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because when we leave here, you're going to, you're going to make decisions. You're going to have actions. Your life. You're going to live your life. How you live your life as a follower of Jesus is very much dependent on what you believe that means. What you believe that means. So, some of you, two weeks ago, were very much blessed and challenged about being covered in Jesus' dust. Ooh, it's not just the Western version of school. It's not just more head learning. Right? Last week, some of you were challenged with Shema with hearing. Ooh, it's not just going to church and getting one more of these for my stack and tucking it away and and acquiring more Greek. Oh, I was supposed to hear and do. What is that affecting? If you're feeling that, and and, and in a good way, it's conviction. It's teaching. it's, it's, It's everything that Timothy says, right? The Word of God is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, right? That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is working at your core beliefs. And He's challenging some of you. It's been very challenging, especially if you've been in church for a long time and you've developed bad habits. Bad habits, right? John played sports for many years, and you know that in sports, you can win the wrong way. You can be successful even though you got a bunch of bad habits, right? And the success can mask the actual bad habits, because outwardly, everything, the win-loss record seems to be okay, Right? But deep down, you're not really doing it right. You've got some bad habits that you're sort of just getting away with. Well, sometimes as believers, we can get away with stuff and we can win the wrong way. Meaning we can be good moral people, we can serve, we can do a lot of things, but we don't have the habits in place and we don't have the correct belief structure. We're sort of just winging it. We're sort of just getting by. We're sort of just getting by the skin of our teeth. That's why it's been so important for us to slow the train down. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to say I'm a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower? We're dealing with the core belief structures, and it's very challenging. It's very challenging for us, especially who have been in church, those who have been in ministry, because we have gleaned many things from many sources that we're not even aware of. And we bring that luggage into our relationship with Jesus, and we bring that luggage into our expectations of a church, into the expectations of a pastor, right? And sometimes it's not until certain circumstances happen that we, oh, I didn't even know I had that assumption. I didn't even know, why is that bothering me so much? Sometimes when you get bothered by something, even in church, what you need to do rather than just react and leave, okay? If if something happens at church, sometimes what you need to do is go, hmm, did I bring an expectation with me? Did I bring a belief structure of of what a church is supposed to be, what a pastor is supposed to be, what the music is supposed to be, or not be, or not be? And sometimes we're carrying around these deep belief structures at the subconscious level that we don't know until something, there's an explosion. I call it, until we step on a landmine and go, whoa, what just happened? Well, part of it might be that you need to stop and you need to re-examine what you brought with you, what you picked up somewhere, and like we do on Wednesdays regularly, is that biblical? And here's the challenge in transformation. If I'm carrying around a deeply held core belief that I think is gospel truth for all these years, And then you go to a Bible study, you hear a sermon, and Scripture says, No, that's not biblical. There's the opportunity for transformation. You can either lock down with what you were told in your tradition and cling to it tenaciously, or you can work through the discomfort and go, Ugh, okay, I always thought... And I went to VBS in elementary school and they said, and for 40 years that's what I believed and now I went to Wednesday or Sunday and you showed me that verse, that's rock my world. That's good. That's growth. That's being conformed to God's will. That's yielding, that's surrendering, right? Not easy. Not easy when we're challenged with our core beliefs. Our way, our wants. Right? And that's what we're gonna look at in Luke eighteen. Look at Luke eighteen, starting in verse eighteen. Familiar, very familiar passage. A certain ruler asked him, okay, so this is Jesus. In fact, let's start at verse fifteen, and that'll give us a little more context. 1815, Luke. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" All right. So it's a ruler. All right. Many believe that it was a ruler, uh, some kind of local official in a synagogue, perhaps. Okay. Uh, they don't believe he was a, he was Roman because a Roman wouldn't have called Jesus teacher or master, right? So, so they believed that he was a Jewish religious leader of some type, right? He's young, he's wealthy. Matthew 19:22, same story. We learn he's, he's uh, young and wealthy, right? So this is a very familiar passage, right? The rich young ruler, right? So he comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, why do you call me good, right? No one is good except God alone. This guy, this religious leader, this ruler, comes to Jesus and kind of says, hey, good teacher. See, He knows knows how to talk. He knows the Christianese, as we would say. He's got the lingo down. Hey, good teacher. What must I do to inherit life? He's kind of like flipping, kind of like casual. Hey, good teacher. And Jesus calls him right away. Right? The importance of words. Hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. See, they would never, the Jews would never use the word good except in reference to God. So this guy kind of flippantly throws it out there and Jesus says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's not, now Jesus is not denying his deity. He's actually challenging. Really? You're calling me God? Careful. Careful. Do you really believe I'm God? Right? It's like what Jesus says in Mark. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Am I? Right? It's one of those things. We say things, but but we have to be really careful with our words because words matter. So this guy says, hey, good teacher. And Jesus says, oh, be very careful because only God is good. Is that what you're saying? Is that how you really view me? Because if it is what I'm about to say... It takes on a whole different meaning if it's God you're talking to, right? So he says this. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Look at the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The nature of that question exposes the underlying belief structure of this rich young ruler, this religious leader. Because he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The assumption is, there is something I can do. So he's just asking Jesus, the rabbi, so what is it? And Jesus kind of plays along, kind of gets it, okay, this is a religious, he came through the system, he's a religious leader, he's well versed in the Torah and the Old Testament, so he's speaking to Jesus out of his what? Tradition. He's speaking to Jesus out of his education. He's speaking to Jesus out of his religion. So he's asking Jesus a religious question, which in his mind makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I was raised in works, legalism, so just tell me what I need to do. Right? It was nothing odd about this question if you uh, I'm trying to get you into the guy's head right take off your western mindset from the guy's perspective it was just a normal question because this is how he was raised okay question though was that the right question biblically how do I what must I do to inherit eternal life is that an accurate question From what we know, the actual question should have been, is it possible for me to do anything to inherit eternal life? You see the difference? One question, what must I do, was an assumption that there was something I could do. Is it possible? Hmm. Is it? Is it? Question. How were people saved in the Old Testament? What was, what was God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament? Was it by faith or by works? And you know, me see none of you. You're like you've been with me long enough. You're like I'm not going to answer because because I know what I want to say, but that's probably not it, because he wouldn't have asked otherwise, right? People were saved. God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament was faith. Faith. Turn to Romans 4. And then keep your marker, put something back at Luke 18. We're going to come back. But turn to Romans 4. Very important. Because even in the church, there is a misconception and inaccuracy about God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament, which again, kind of messes with us. Romans 4, the Apostle Paul answers the question. What was God's plan of salvation, if you want to call it that, in the Old Testament? Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham what? Believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Look at Rome, uh, go down to verse 6 6 through 8. David, all right, this is David of the Old Testament. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness, what? Apart from what? Works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Right? Go down to uh, verse 11. Let's just skip down really quick. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that the righteous might be, righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Right? Verse 13. Because, I'm sorry, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Abraham was considered the father of the Jews. Romans 4, the Apostle Paul says, hey, Abraham was declared righteous by faith. By faith. So what happened? What happened? This is what's called the Abrahamic or the covenant made with Abraham. Okay? He was justified. Salvation came to him. It was credited to him by what? Faith, right? 400 years later, at Mount Sinai, the law was given, right? Moses, Ten Commandments. That's called the Mosaic Covenant. Now, here's what happened. The Jews, the Jews and the Jewish religious leaders, they twisted the law. They turned the Ten Commandments into a legalistic system of works to earn salvation, and it was never intended to be that. That's Where the misconception even in the church comes from. Okay? God gave a new covenant through Moses. The Jewish religious leaders and the Jewish religious systems turned that into a legalistic system of works that you must maintain to earn salvation. Biblically, though, Abraham's covenant superseded it all. How do we know? Turn to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Very important. Okay. So hang in there. Galatians 3. 3.17. Galatians 3.17 says this. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later. This is what they're talking about. This is the law given at Mount Sinai, okay? 430 years after the covenant with Abraham. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace, right? There's grace in the Old Testament, God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So Galatians 3.17, very clear. Hey, Abraham was justified by faith. 400 years later, God gave what we consider the law, but it was not to supersede faith. That's where the misconception has come in. Okay? All of that to say, go back to Luke, this is the framework, the misconception, this is what the guy is bringing in his conversation with Jesus. He has a belief structure. That is about to be challenged to the core. What is the application for us? Some of us in our walk with Jesus, you have belief structures. I have belief structures. And our transformation often happens when we are challenged to the core with what we, we think is gospel truth, and it really isn't. I know this firsthand. I'm going to take this the right way. Coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, being raised, as long as I could remember, in the Roman Catholic Church and doctrine and teaching, I remember when I first started to to have some interaction with evangelicals. We used to call you guys born-againers. So as a Roman Catholic, I remember my first interaction with born-agains. And born-agains wanted to share Scripture with me. And born-agains were challenging my core beliefs about what the church said and what the Pope said and how you get to heaven And I remember getting really angry and really, really defensive. As loving as they tried to be, because they would just point me to Scripture, what they were doing out of love, right, and out of their heart for me, was challenging my core beliefs. And that was a challenge for me because in in the Filipino culture, being Catholic is just is who you are. The Philippines is 80% Catholic. And so if you walk away from Catholicism as a Filipino you're walking away from family? It's a big deal. And I remember, kind of like the rich young ruler, I'd walk around and growing up in that in that tradition of the Roman Catholic, I thought I I thought I was good to go. I thought I was good to go. And then all these born-againers start coming along. God brings them in. I'm like one of my roommates. I get friends at college. They start sharing stuff with me. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not good to go? What do you mean I don't... What? So you're saying, right? And I would get, get, so you're saying, really? You're calling, I'm a sinner, really? I go to church. I don't do any of the big ones. So you're saying, so you're saying. And what, what we're doing through Scripture is they were challenging my identity. They were challenging my source of security. They were challenging how I was raised, right? And that's what's going about to happen here. This young man comes to Jesus with all of this underneath him. Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Doesn't even have a clue of who he's talking to or what's about to happen. Right? So look at Luke 18. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal, Luke 18:19. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. What's interesting in this story in Matthew 19, he also says, Love your neighbor as yourself. He has that from Leviticus, right? So he says, Okay, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus is kind of playing along with him. He's like, Okay, I got where you're coming from. You know the commandments. And he only gives a few which are based on human relationships. Okay? So again, think about this from the perspective of the rich young ruler. Don't just go with what's on scripture. Jesus lifts four Four or five? So based on that list alone, this religious ruler says, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, we might bristle at that, but look at the list. Do not commit adultery. Now be real careful with this, but just walk with me. I'm guessing. Many of us here are good to go. Do not murder. I'm hoping many of us in here are good to go. Do not steal. Really hoping that we are good to go here. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Look at the list. Many of you would say the same thing, wouldn't you? Because you could. Cause you could. Just go off what the list says. You could say exactly what he says. Right? And feel pretty good. Right? What did, what did the apostle, remember the apostle Paul when he was listing off, listing off his credentials in Philippians 3? He says, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. See, for rabbis and, and religious leaders, it was, they were good to go. They were good to go. They kept the law. These that Jesus mentions, Many of you in here would say, this. okay, I'm good to go. And that's kind of the challenge because I was thinking through this. What in your walk with Jesus is easy if you're truthful? And what really requires faith? See? Is not murdering really require faith for you? Does not stealing really require faith for you and me? You understand what I'm saying? And so he's kind of getting challenged. He's kind of walking this guy through this line where, yeah, I'm good to go. And for many of us as Christians, we're kind of honestly good to go. What in your life and my life really requires an all-in-faith moment, Jesus, if you don't move moment? Does it really require faith for you to get up and have quiet time? Does it really require faith for you to come to church? Now, in some countries it would. See the difference? What in your life and my life is easy it doesn't really require faith. And then when you're challenged with faith steps, what do you do then? What do you do then, right? And so, look what, look what happens here. When Jesus heard this, he said to him. Now, I love this because in Mark it says he loved him. Now, this is not Jesus hammering. It says Jesus looks and loves him in Mark 10:21, right? It says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, Luke 18, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What? What? See, understand from the religious young ruler, he wanted something that he could do that fit with his plan. Jesus just said, whoop, nope, I'm turning your world upside down. I want relationship, not religion. Religion. See, the challenging part, understand, the Jews were raised in Deuteronomy 28. If you're obedient, you are blessed by God, right? If you know Deuteronomy 26 and 28, obedience brought tons of blessings. So this is a rich young ruler. So in his mindset, I am wealthy as a sign that I'm good with God. What in your life and in my life might we be holding on to that we think makes us good with God? Is it that you serve? Is it that you give? Right? And 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 this guy is he he, he gets his world flipped upside down and he gets it gets real really quick because he understands Jesus is saying, hey All that stuff that you were raised with, all that inaccurate tradition, all that works mentality, anything you're holding on to for your security and identity, it doesn't matter. It's what we call around here a come to Jesus moment. It's a come to Jesus moment. He strips away everything, just like that song, Lord, strip it all away, till only you remain. Great song to sing until he does it. (laughs) <laughs> right? I went through this in my, in my journey as a pastor there was a season I'd been a pastor for a few years and then circumstances happened to where I ended up answering customer service calls for Geico and the crazy thing was in my, in my transformation and maturity as a believer sitting there answering calls with one of these all day it really affected my identity Lord, I was a pastor. Now I'm here for a season. Am I on JV now? Am I a less than Christian? Because I don't have a title. And I had to struggle through my identity in Christ being linked to a title. Being linked to something I was doing rather than just who I was in Christ. Question, is there something in your walk with Jesus that you're holding on to as your identity? As your security? Something you do? Something you sacrifice? Something you give That's not Jesus, but it's your. And what if he took it away? And it was just him. And he says, get rid of all of it. And it could be a person. Get rid of all of it. It could be a a church. Get rid of all of it. And just come follow me. So this young ruler is stripped away from everything. And he's challenged because Jesus says, I don't want more religion. What was he lacking? He still lacked one thing. What was he lacking? Faith. He was lacking faith. And he was challenged because he was taught that at Mount Sinai it was about works. And Jesus says, Oh, no, 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 that was wrong. Go back to Abraham. It's about faith. And this guy has now to unlearn everything he's been learned. Everything easy. No, it wasn't Mount Sinai. It was Abraham. It's faith. You lack one thing faith. You're justified by faith. You and I are justified by faith. That's what he wants. If you and I are going to be followers of Jesus, you got to start with faith. You have to start with faith. And I don't know what it was. For him, the faith step was the riches, the wealth, and we tend to fixate as, as, as that's the story. It's not really about riches. It's about faith. So the question, the application for me, the application for all of us here is, what's in your life that requires faith to let go of, to follow Jesus? Hmm. What in your life requires faith? If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to let go, you're going to surrender, you're going to yield it, right? Galatians 5, 5 5-6 says this, By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Obedience. Being a follower of Jesus comes back to faith in Jesus. Amen? Faith in Jesus. More than head knowledge, Jesus really called this young ruler out and said, hey, and I love that he loved him. I love that it says he loved him. Because I'll tell you guys, when you get challenged at your core level, of what you've been hanging your hat on in your life, for your identity, your security, your eternal destiny, when you get challenged, oh man, not only is it scary, not only does it maybe make you angry, but quite frankly, like this guy, it can bum you out. Because what does it say here? When he heard this, he became very sad. Because he was a man of great wealth. He became sad. I often wonder about that, because the Pharisees often became angry. <laughs> but he became sad. And there's a there's a here's a deal. I love that Jesus loved him because when you speak the truth in love, you have to do it with compassion. Because you're really you're really pushing buttons and you're touching people where they live. And for this young ruler, this religious leader, believe me, for him to sell and follow Jesus, you imagine the social impact that would have had on him? Imagine the stigma. Imagine the peer pressure. Imagine what his family was going to say. He's turning his back on hundreds of years. Oh, so you're saying... All the rabbis are wrong going back to Mount Sinai. Oh, so now you're better than us. Now you're better than you, you get it? When we are challenged at our core to put our faith in Jesus and follow Him, take His yoke, take our cross and follow Him, that's a weighty thing. And, and, and we try to hold that here with, with much compassion and sensitivity. And and I understand that. There's times when when you know I'm kind of goofy and we laugh and we joke and we have a good time. But there's times like this when many of us can be challenged, like the rich young ruler, at our core. Remember Jesus? People came to him in Matthew 7 and says, "Hey, didn't we do all this? Didn't we do all this?" And he says, "I never knew you." That's a weighty statement. <laughs> That's a heavy truth. That's not something you joke about. I don't even know how to respond if someone sat in OVCF church for years and then heard that from Jesus. But I went to OVCF every Sunday. I, I never knew you. That, that's not something to take lightly. So we speak the truth in love. And in, in this passage, Jesus lovingly says, Hey, rich young ruler, I'm very sensitive I get why you can... I get it. I I I, I really do get you. And I know why you're feeling like you're good to go. But truthfully, you're not. You're not. You're not. As we would say, you're not all that. You're not all that. And that's heavy. And that's weighty. And, and, and to understand this particular story, look at it in the context of, of what was... What was before it in Luke, look above it, Luke 18.9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. it." Two stories put right before the rich young ruler. Am I or we are you carrying around some sort of self righteousness? Are we receiving Jesus' call to faith as children? Dependents, helpless. God have mercy on me. Heart of following Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. The gospel, the word gospel means what? Good news. The problem with the gospel meaning good news is a lot of people don't like the bad news. The bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is you can't earn your way to heaven. Right? Once you grasp the bad news, the gospel really becomes. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what he was doing with the rich young ruler. Hey, I got some bad news. And he walked him through the bad news part. And he says, Good news? Come follow me. You have treasure in heaven. Jesus told him. He said, He answered his question. What must I do? He answered it. Me? Faith in me? See, in, in in, in the Abrahamic covenant, it said Abraham believed God. The rich young ruler was confronted to believe God. You and I, in our walk of Jesus, every day, when we obey, when we're when we're at the crossroads of obedience or disobedience, do you believe God? Do you believe God's word when it says this is how you should handle your finances? Do you believe God's word when it says, this is how you should forgive? Do you believe God's word when he says, do not lie? See, obedience is an act of faith. Trusting that God's will and his commands are our best. Amen? That's what it means when we walk by faith. So think of an issue right now in your life where maybe you're like, "Eh, eh, I don't know, I know what the Bible says, but I don't know if I want to. you've been maybe trying to hammer that out based on what you think are the perceived consequences for the flesh, I encourage you, reframe that challenge of obedience and disobedience the issue of faith. Put it in the issue of faith. Do you trust God with your money? Do you trust God with your relationships? Do you trust God with whatever He's putting on your heart? Following Jesus is a walk of faith. Manifested in love and obedience. Rich young ruler walked away sad. My hope and prayer for you and for us is that whatever God's saying, by faith, by faith, you'll receive His gift of salvation by faith. But if you're a believer already, maybe you're being challenged with some core assumptions that you've been carrying, you carried in through these doors. Well, I always thought my encouragement to you, take a step of faith. Take a step of faith and see what happens as you obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. This morning, the example of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and literally had his world turned upside down. Everything he had been taught, everything he had uh, been clinging to for security, for identity, religiosity, all challenged by faith. By faith. In fact, the rich young ruler was challenged because Jesus lovingly was saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. Just come follow me. All the religion, all the works, everything you thought about yourself, your pride, you're wrong. Leave it all and come follow me by faith. And so, Father, this morning my prayer is that there are some here who have never put their faith in Jesus for salvation that they would this morning they would understand that as Abraham was declared righteous by faith, that that's the same message through Jesus. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And if that's you this morning, understanding your lostness, understanding the bad news, that perhaps this morning you would, like the tax collectors, simply say, God, have mercy on me a sinner. You would rest in the finished work of Jesus. His death and resurrection. As your sacrificial lamb. And if you're a believer here, maybe God is speaking to you about an area of faith and obedience. And your challenge to follow Jesus, to be a hearer and a doer, to take up the cross, take up his yoke, to follow him in faith. My prayer is that, unlike the rich young ruler, you would not leave here sad. In fact, I love Romans where it says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. If you've been struggling, if you've been disobedient, if you've been unfaithful, lacking in faith, simply confess it. Just say, Lord, I confess this sin before you and I turn. I choose to turn. I choose right now to turn in repentance in the power of the Holy Spirit. I desire faith and obedience. And so we'll distribute the communion cups and give you a time to to just reflect. Upon God's Word, His truth, the application to to your own life. If you have put your faith in Christ this morning, I invite you to take communion with us just as an outward sign and just as a joyful celebration that you have been saved by grace through faith. So, we'll go ahead and distribute the uh, cups and then we'll take communion together. Lord Jesus, we hold these cups in our hands as symbols of your incredible love for us, as symbols that we are saved by grace through faith in your finished work. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. We reaffirm our faith in you and your finished work. We reaffirm, Jesus, that we do desire to be your followers. And, And Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit now, would you enable us to walk by faith and not by sight? Lord those areas that, that seem impossible, Lord, we're, we're so encouraged that's what, it's, what seems impossible with man is possible with you. And so Father we, we're thankful for you sending Jesus and we take this communion now in remembrance of him and also just as an affirmation of our faith in who he is and our desire to walk by faith and not. As we leave here, amen. Why don't we stand together and we'll uh, close in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we are saved by grace through faith. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And now as we leave, Lord, would you use us in this valley to be salt and light? Lord, when people look at our lives, would they see what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Someone who is just following by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. May our lives bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Father, would you use us this week to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. Those that have been saved by grace through faith. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. And Father, until we meet again, would you keep us safe. Lord, we pray for our ministry at Triple C this afternoon. Father, that that would be another opportunity to honor You through worship and the preaching of Your Word. So we love You. Thank You for our time this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.